How about that, huh? Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing. I, I know they're not even here, but you, don't, you kind of want to clap, don't you? You, you, you got to get it out of you. Yeah. Somewhere in the ecosystem, they can hear you clapping right now. Not sure if you caught Simon's comment right when Charlotte and Jonathan took the stage, but he leaned to the person next to him and said, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. A couple of months later, he would be negotiating a million-dollar contract with Charlotte and Jonathan, uh, much to his surprise. Uh, what struck me most, though, was the contrast between Jonathan's school friends and Charlotte. I want to draw attention to that. I love this. Uh, I don't love this aspect. Jonathan says his school friends, when they would make fun of his size, kind of took a piece out of him. They belittled his confidence. On the other hand, you have his friendship with Charlotte, where he said, I wouldn't be up on stage today if it weren't for her standing next to me. I want you to think about that for a moment. Just think about the power of words. Words that tear somebody down, words that build somebody up, and the gift that he was able to give the world and the people around him because one person saw past appearances to see the gift of, that God has given him uh, to, to broadcast that to the world. What happens with the power of our words? Now, with that being said, let's be honest. If you or I had seen the 70,000 people parade before us who entered Britain's Got Talent that year, if you or I had seen all 70,000 parade before us, would we have picked them to win second place based on our snap judgment? I'll be honest and say it's unlikely that I would have. They didn't have the look. They'd have walked right by, I'm sad to say. Uh, I'm into mountain biking. It's my latest sport that I'm not very good at, but I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, this past week, I was on the trails. In front of me was this relatively steep and rocky climb, and I'm making my way up, trying my hardest to get to the top. I make it three-quarters of the way up the hill, and I have to plant my foot and do the shuffle of shame to the top of the hill. And I'm at the top of the hill, catching my breath, and I, see, I hear another rider, rider rattling up behind me, and I'm kind of watching him because when you're out on the trails... You don't, at least I don't, I don't like to be too close to other riders because I'm either like in front of them slowing them down or they're in front of me slowing me down. So I like to keep my distance. So I'm watching this guy that go up the hill that I made it three quarters of the way up the hill. He made it a quarter of the way up the hill and he petered off. That was all I needed. I hopped on my bike and I, I took off. I kept going, right? Now I get a little bit down the trail and I ask myself a question. Did I just judge him, right? Is that, is that what happened? A couple of miles down the trail, I hear someone else rattling up behind me. I look behind me, and this time I see a guy. I notice two things about him. First, I notice he's got all the colorful outfit, the, the cyclist outfit, tight-fitting outfit that I don't wear because I don't want to be the guy who looks like he thinks he can ride but can't, okay? <laughs> so I, I notice that about him. And then secondly, I notice that he shaved his legs, okay? Dead giveaway that he's a competitive cyclist. So on that, I pull over and let him, him go by. And again, I ask myself, a mile or two down the road, did I just judge that guy? Uh, you know, what's, what's going on in me? Now, uh, truth be told, I form very quick opinions about Charlotte and Jonathan and very quick opinions about Rider One and very quick opinions about Mr. Shaved Legs. I, I did that, and for two out of the three, I was right, okay? Because I was wrong on Charlotte and Jonathan, 
But rider one, who didn't make it very far up the hill, I never saw him again, so it was good that I was in front of him. Rider two, who I let go in front of me, I never saw him again. He left me in the dust, so I was good to let him go beyond me. But my question still lingered, did I judge them? And I ask that because of all things, I do not want to be a judgmental person. I don't want that. I don't want to be a judgmental person. I want to guard against that. Now, I ask that because uh, in our day, it's a little bit interesting or disturbing maybe about what communities of faith like Gateway are commonly associated with. Uh, Check this screenshot out. I grabbed this off the internet. This is YouTube. Uh, I was uh, on YouTube and I typed the word judgmental because that's how pastors these days do research. Um, And I typed judgmental and I noticed as I typed, you know, it gives you suggestions. It like thinks for you. And it came up judgmental, second, judgmental people, third, judgmental cat. I promise I didn't write that in. Uh, And then next, judgmental Christians. That's what came up on the list right after Judgmental Cat. And I I saw that and I thought, how sad is that? That YouTube, when it thinks for you, when you type the word judgmental, one of the very first word associations is judgmental Christians. It's especially troubling when you consider the teachings of Jesus. Luke 6.37 says this. this. These are Jesus' words. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. So Jesus teaches directly against being judgmental, and yet in today's climate, his followers are known for being judgmental. That's a problem. That troubles me. I'm troubled by it on several fronts. I'm troubled by it because I wonder if I do it, and I'm troubled by it because the faith community I'm associated with, in a large sense, is associated with that. And I'm troubled by it because Jesus taught so boldly against it. So it forces me or compels me to ask a question. What exactly was Jesus teaching against? What, what was his point? And, and have we missed it entirely? What was he getting at? So we're kicking off a new series today called, Why Do We Do What We Do? And this title is intended to have a double meaning, okay? So on the one hand, it's meant to be about why do we as individuals do the things that we do? What is it about me that does things, okay? And then as a church, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we value here at Gateway the things that we value. And so today's topic is uh, why do we judge as individuals? What is it about us? What is it that's going on in our hearts that compels us to judge people? And then we're going to contrast that with a value we have around here. You hear it all the time. Uh, Come as you are. Come as you are at Gateway. Why do we have this come-as-you-are culture? Now, one other aspect of the series you need to know. We're going to anchor each week's teaching out of the book of Luke. Okay, there are four Gospels that chronicle the life and teachings of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to zero in on the book of Luke. Why are we zeroing in on the book of Luke? We're doing so because at the beginning of this year in January, we challenged you all to consider doing 
the New Testament reading plan, where you would read through the New Testament this year. Uh, and we encourage you to get on version and download a particular plan called the Outreach New Testament Reading Plan. And if you are doing that, and or have been doing that since January, you're right around Luke right now. And so we thought that'd be kind of neat to parallel what we're teaching with what you are reading. Now, there's a problem with that uh, because uh, some of you are thinking either A, I didn't sign up to read the New Testament, or B, I signed up and I've already fallen off the wagon. Um, if that's the case, I have good news for you. It's called pastorally endorsed cheating, okay? Yeah, yeah thank you. Here's, here's, how, here's how this works. Three very simple steps coming up with the string. Step one, I'm going to encourage you to download version on your smartphone if you haven't already. Step two, uh, sign up for the Outreach New Testament reading plan. Just remember those words, Outreach New Testament. And then three, click each reading up to Luke as if you read it, even though you haven't, okay? <laughs> you can do that, all right? Here's the deal. Nobody cares, all right? There is no judgment here. Come as you are, right? That's, that's what we're doing. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. Now, why do we judge What's that about? To best answer this, we first need clarity. We need to understand what does it mean to be judgmental. And I say that because we think we know what it means, but I don't think we really do. I don't think it's quite as, as simple as it sounds. Uh, is it just about forming opinions quickly or, or, or what's going on? Because if it's just about that, that's incredibly difficult to control. Princeton University psychologists Alexander Todorov and Janine Willis, they uh, did a study. And from the study they did, they tell us that people form opinions in about a tenth of a second. About a tenth of a second. And that after that tenth of a second, those opinions, they're difficult to change. That's fascinating and troubling all at the same time. So right or wrong, you and I, we are going to have thoughts. We're going to have opinions. These are reflective. And as much as we have to be extremely careful about forming opinions too quickly, I'm convinced that there's actually something deeper going on than just kind of our perception of people that may need to change over time as we get to know somebody. What exactly does it mean to judge or be judged by somebody? So I'm going to kind of work this out today with you all uh, by diving deeply into a passage from Luke chapter 6, some teaching of Jesus. I already read the first line. Jesus said, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Now, I want us to uh, leave that up on the screen for a moment, the full version of it. Judge not, and you will not be judged. If you guys on the, the slides can bring that up. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Now, I want you to take note that Jesus gives us two statements. Uh, first, judge not. Second, condemn not. All right? Now, both in Scripture and in the English language, we call something, or we, we see something that I call definition by repetition. Okay? Definition by repetition. What do I mean by that? The first statement is further defined by the second statement. Okay? I'll give you some examples. Uh, you could say, do not fear. Do not worry about the presidential elections, okay? The first statement is given further definition by the second statement, all right? Definition by repetition. Another might be, do not covet. Do not wish you had the body of Ted Beasley, okay? <laughs> the first statement, it's given definition by the second statement. So let's, let's work this out. 
uh, condensed down. It said, Luke 6, 37, judge not. And then it said, condemn not. The first statement is given further definition by the second statement. This is critical. I think it accelerates our understanding. Uh, this is our first insight from Jesus' teaching. To judge somebody, it's more than just noticing something about that person. Because we're going to notice things about each other, and that's okay. I think we get this. I want to I work this out together. Let's say, for example, we have a friend. And let's say somebody says about this friend, we'll call him Tyler, uh, my apologies if your name is Tyler today. Your name's going to be mentioned a lot. I'm not zeroing in on you. Um, but let's say somebody says about Tyler, you know, Tyler, Tyler's an alcoholic. Let's say they make that observation. Is that statement being judgmental? I would suggest that it depends. And here's what I mean by that. I can look at Tyler, or you can look at Tyler. And there's one way you can look at Tyler, and it would be with compassion, okay? And here's, here's how this would, would sound. Uh, I hurt for Tyler. Uh, Tyler struggles with alcohol. He's an alcoholic. I hear compassion in that, right? The other would be condemnation. And that would be something more like, I can't stand Tyler. Tyler's an alcoholic. Two very different perspectives on the very same observation. Again, judge not, condemn not. If I notice Tyler's struggle with alcohol, what's my spirit in noticing it? Is it a spirit of compassion or is it a spirit of condemnation? Now, hold that thought. There's a second observation I want to make in Jesus' statement. I want to meditate on this a bit more. Listen again what he said. Judge not and you will not be condemned. Hear that phrase. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Take those out. It says, and you will not be judged. And then it says, and you will not be condemned. I find that fascinating. There is a, a result of judging or not judging or condemning or not condemning. The passage goes on. Listen to the full statement. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Then it says this, forgive and you will be forgiven. So there's three things that happen here. Uh, pull them all together. First, you will not be judged. Second, you will not be condemned. Third, you will be forgiven, which is good news to me because I don't want to be judged and I don't want to be condemned and I do want to be forgiven. I need that, right? So uh, it's also a little bit interesting to me because it goes on. I, I want you to hear the, this full passage. Uh, it says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Then listen to this. Uh, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use of judgment or condemnation or forgiveness, it will be measured back to you. Now this is fascinating. I think we miss this in Jesus' teaching. We, we blaze over it too quickly. It's basically saying we're going to get what we give and we're going to get it in abundance. Whatever we give, it's going to be given back to us. If we give forgiveness and grace, then we will receive a good measure of forgiveness and grace passed back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over in our laps. Give grace, and that's what we get. Give judgment, though, and that's what we get. Give condemnation, and that's what we get. Those who judge and those who condemn, they will receive back that very thing, pressed down, shaken together, 
and running over. We get what we give. Now, I want to know what in the world is going on here. What is this getting at? What was on Jesus' mind? What was on his heart here? Because I thought that if I asked for God's forgiveness, that I would get it. No questions asked. Now it's saying, I've got to forgive people in order to get forgiven. Well, there's this person over here I'm really not interested in forgiving, but I still want to be forgiven. Okay, so why is there this link between the two? All of a sudden, there's a footnote on this idea of forgiveness. What's going on here? Let's go back to Tyler. Tyler is an alcoholic. I can say that compassionately, or I can say that in a way that's judgmental. But here's the question I think Jesus wants us to ask. What do each of these perspectives, whether it be compassion or condemnation, what do they say about you? If I bring compassion or if I bring condemnation, not what do they say about Tyler, but what do they say about me? Or what do they say about you? Who are you? Which gets right to the point of our question today. Why do we do what we do? Why do we judge? Jesus said, don't judge others or you too will be judged. Don't condemn others or you too will be condemned. What's Jesus saying here? He's telling us that when we judge others, it says something about ourselves. It says something about me and what's going on in me. It says something about you and what's going on in you. If you are a grace-giving, forgiving person, it says a great deal about you. If you are a hard, judgmental, condemning person, that says a great deal about you. Now, I want you to think about this. What does it say about us? Why do we do what it is that we do? I'm convinced that this person right here, this compassionate person, is compassionate because they're humble. And this person right here, this condemning person, I'm convinced, is condemning because they're arrogant. And I find that very interesting because when I look in Scripture and I look at who is it that stands before God and receives grace and receives forgiveness, it's the humble. And when I look in Scripture and I see who is it that does not stand before God and does not receive forgiveness, it's the arrogant. And so this idea of being compassionate or being condemning, it says a great deal about the kind of disposition that humbly goes before God and says, God, I need mercy, and I need grace, and I need forgiveness because I've messed this thing up. Versus this person who says, I'm doing okay, God. I'm doing all right. And what about Tyler? He's the one you should be messing with. This person is missing something in his or her perspective. The person who has humbled himself before God and says, I'm a mess, I need you, God, that person, when he sees that Tyler is an alcoholic, that person will have a heart of compassion for that friend, Tyler. I've got another word I want to introduce into this conversation. It's a word we hear a great deal in our day. Uh, It's the word tolerance. It's an important word, often juxtaposed against judgment, right? We need to be more tolerant people. We need to pe- let people live and uh, live and let live, right? We, we hear that a great deal, and, and it's for good reason. Scripture itself affirms a form of tolerance, and, and it's teaching on 
when you interact with people who differ for you. I want you to hear carefully what's said in 1 Peter. It says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, when you interact with people who have different views, different ways of living, different lifestyles, different perspectives that are different than yours, interact with them respectfully. Be a tolerant person. Be respectful of those differences. That's Scripture's teaching, a teaching that needs to be heard far more than it's experienced in our day. As followers of Christ, the disposition we are exhorted to carry toward those who who are different than us is one of gentleness and respect. Now, with that being said, I want to ask this question. When it comes to Tyler, though, and it comes to his struggle with alcohol, is it tolerance that he needs? Is that really what he needs? If he's surrounded by judgment, we know he doesn't need judgment. Because if he's surrounded by judgment and condemning people, we know this about Tyler. That'll cause more pain. And guess what pain will cause him to do? It'll cause him to drink more, right? Because that's the way it works. It's this vicious cycle. So if he's in a judgmental family or a judgmental community or judgmental friends at work, it's only going to exasperate the problem. Tyler doesn't need that. But I also want to know, is it tolerance that he needs? Is it just a live and let live kind of principle? Is it just saying, Tyler, uh, t- Tyler you know, if, if, if you want to drink, just drink. You know, that's just you. Just, just be you. In his book, No Perfect People Allowed, John made a statement that has stuck with me for years. He said, tolerance is a cheap substitute for grace. It's an interesting thought. Tolerance is a cheap substitute for grace. I want you to hear carefully how Jesus was described. John 1.14 says this. We have seen his glory, Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Two things, grace and truth. This is how Jesus is described. He comes with both grace and truth. If I say, Tyler, you just be you. You just drink what you want to drink. You do what you want to do. Yes, I've given him grace in a form of tolerance, but I have not done so in a way that is truthful. I've done so in a way that's actually going to hurt him, and I wonder if I've done so at the expense of love. Tyler isn't loved by by timidity or by my fear of speaking the truth. He's actually hurt by it. What Tyler needs, he needs deep compassion, deep grace, coupled with gentle truth. That's what Tyler needs. So, with that perspective, why do we do what we do as a church? I said a moment ago, we we have this come-as-you-are culture, no perfect people allowed. It's on our signs, it's on our websites, on our doors, it's everywhere. What, What is that about? What is it that we're seeking to do here? Um, I recently joined a local gym. Uh, I had joined years ago, then stopped going, as commonly happens, then quit and had to pay the extra month, even though you're not using it. Uh, And then, you know, kind of got away from it, started doing other things, mountain biking, like I mentioned and such. But this winter, I decided, you know, there are some things I like about the gym, and, you know, it's January, so what do you do in January? You sign up for the gym. And so I've been going to the gym here and there, and um, I did so as well because this past summer, 
I kicked in and did what many of you are doing in our church, which is very exciting. I did the Daniel plan uh, because I needed to lose about 20 pounds. Took me about six months to do so, and I did lose the 20 pounds. It was challenging, uh, but I'm grateful that I did. And uh, being part of the gym is, is helping me continue to work that out. Now, a few weeks ago, I was walking through the gym, and a woman passed me uh, who was on an electric cart. She was getting a tour of the facilities, and she was on an electric cart because she had uh, a very severe weight issue, and uh, obviously was painful on her knees or, or something uh, to walk. And I had this thought pass through my mind as she and I uh, brushed by each other. I, I wondered what she thought other people were thinking of her in that environment. Uh, because I know that there's this perception that when you're at the gym, you look around and you think, there's all these finely tuned sculpted bodies. And I wonder if she was thinking to herself, I'm out of place here. Now, the reality is, those of you who go to the gym, you and I know full well, you look around the room, and it's a lot of people struggling to get in shape. That's the reality, with a few people who have done it. Uh, but most of us are struggling to get there. Now, I wondered what her perspective was. What did she think I thought when I, when I walked by here? What, did she wonder if I was judging her? Here's the reality. I wasn't. Everything in me wanted to stop her and go, you can do this. You can do this. We're a come-as-you-are gym. We're, you're like, no perfect bodies allowed. Okay? Get in here. Sign up. Pay the fee. Get into the classes. This, it, it's going to take a while. But you can do this. That's what I was saying. That's what I wanted to say, but that would have been weird. Right? <laughs> I so badly wanted to do that. What I needed... I needed one of the, the leaders of the gym or the owners of the gym to stand up and go, at this gym, we cheer each other on, right? Like, that's our culture around here. We're a gym that goes up to people and says, you can do this. Like, come on, I, I know it's hard and I know it's a challenge, but that's the kind of gym we are. Without the leader doing that, it just, you, you, there's this cultural thing where you just don't, don't do that. But that's what was going on in my heart. I wanted that woman to feel that for me, and I have no idea what she felt for me. But it got me thinking about this church, and on this particular day, I happened to be the guy up front. And so here's what I want to say. We're a come-as-you-are church. We cheer each other on. We get beside each other and say, you can do this. It doesn't matter how spiritually out of shape you are. That's who we are. Yes, yes, yes. Every single one of us, every single one of us is trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I make spiritual progress? And I tell you this for certain, a judgmental culture inhibits that progress. But a culture that's filled with compassion and grace and even tolerance, that kind of a culture is a culture in which people thrive because then they have an opportunity to make progress because then they're in an environment that says, you know what, there's people around me who are in all different places. We're all in this together. We're all struggling to figure this out. In that kind of a culture, guess what? People get in shape. People grow. People mature. People lose their bad habits. People gain new habits. And so we, as a church, take this very seriously. Not at the expense of truth, 
But in the context of grace, we are, we hope, as Jesus was, bringing grace and truth in a compassionate, humble, loving environment because every single one of us needs that forgiveness. Every single one of us needs that grace. So, I simply have two questions that I want us to reflect on. Uh, The first is this. I want you to ask yourself, how am I doing in my experience of grace? How am I doing in my experience of grace? And as much as I like the word tolerance, I want to zero in on the word grace because I don't want to tolerate destructive behaviors in my life. I don't want to tolerate that, right? There's a, a place for a kind of tolerance that's important. What I want to know is how am I giving myself grace so I can do business with the things that I need to do business with? How am I doing in my experience of grace? Am I humbly going before God and acknowledging my need for him? Am I humbly going before God and calling upon him for grace and for forgiveness and for for power to lead a new life? Am I doing that? Or is there this arrogant thing that's slipping in or this insecure thing that's slipping in or, or what might be getting in my way? Because I need to be the kind of person who every single day gets on his knees and says, I need you, God. I cannot do this day without you. I need you. I need your grace. So I want you to reflect on that. How am I doing? How are you doing in your experience of grace? Second question. Ask yourself this. How am I doing in my giving of grace? How am I doing in my giving of grace? At work, that person who annoys me because she talks too much. Am I giving her grace? Here's what you need to know about her. She rattles on for a reason. There's insecurity, there's wounds, there's hardship. That, that talking too much in meetings, it's all about what's going on underneath the surface, things you have no idea what's going on. How am I doing in giving grace to that person? How am I doing at giving grace to my parents? How am I doing at giving grace to my kids? Do they feel judgment from me or do they feel grace from me? How am I doing in my own experience of grace, how am I doing in my giving of grace? The band's coming out, and they're going to lead us in song. And I'm going to encourage you to reflect on these two questions as they do. Um, You're going to hear a particular phrase in the song. One of my favorite phrases from Scripture about Jesus, he's referred to as a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. And I want you to ask yourself, have I allowed Jesus to be my friend? Or am I holding him at arm's distance because I think he's just going to judge me? How am I doing in my experience of grace? And then ask yourself the same question, but flipped around, am I a friend of sinners? Because this church, we want to be a friend of sinners. That We want to be known for that. We're a friend of sinners. And This church is nothing more than made up of a group of individuals. And so we're nothing if you yourself don't carry that DNA. So am I being a friend of sinners? As we do so, we'll take our offering. And as we always say, uh, if you're new here, just checking things out, let this service be a gift to you. Uh, For those of us who call this our church home, this is our opportunity to participate and get behind what's going on here financially. All of us, though, if you would, reflect on those two questions. How am I doing in my experience of grace? How am I doing in my giving of grace?